0: Good evening. Progressives in Washington and New York demand canceling rent and green jobs. The partisan divide at the southern border, the wealth tax and Cuomo's reopening. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. The United States Senate was uh, sworn. Uh, pardon me. The Senate swore in. The new attorney general, Merrick Garland, today, he was confirmed yesterday by a vote of 70 to 30, with 20 Republicans joining all 50 Democrats and supporting him. Garland worked for years as a federal prosecutor and led major investigations into the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing and others. He was chosen by President Barack Obama in 2016 to join the Supreme Court only to see his nomination held up for eight months in an audacious political maneuver by Senator Mitch McConnell. The move ultimately allowed Trump to choose his own nominee to fill the seat. Garland will confront the rise of domestic extremism as law enforcement officials continue investigating the January 6th assault on the Capitol. The Capitol right investigation is showing interest in Roger Stone, one of Trump's allies, and the FBI has found evidence of communications between right-wing extremists and White House associates underscoring how closely Trump had aligned himself with such groups during his presidency. And it was one year ago today, the COVID-19 pandemic was officially announced. President Joe Biden marked the day signing into law the $1.9 trillion relief package, an amount unheard of before half a million Americans and countless others died from the deadly disease that circled the globe in its deadly embrace. Biden said the American Rescue Plan will help the United States defeat the coronavirus and nurse the economy back to health, and checks to Americans should begin arriving this weekend. The The signing came hours before Biden delivers his first primetime address since taking office tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Previewing his Thursday night remarks, Biden said he would talk about what we've been through as a nation this past year. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about what comes next. And with an eviction moratorium issued by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in September, set to expire at the end of the month, and Congress and the White House still unable to pass a new coronavirus relief bill? Well, I guess it's been passed and it's been signed. Representative Ilan Omar has renewed her push for legislation that would cancel mortgage and rent payments through the duration of the pandemic. Omar had originally introduced the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act last April. The plan includes a relief fund for landlords and mortgage holders to cover losses incurred from missed payments. She spoke at a news conference today.
1: Now we are facing an unprecedented crisis that has led to millions of Americans at risk of housing instability and homelessness. As you know, the housing crisis didn't begin with the coronavirus crisis. It's exasperated the problem. In my home state of Minnesota, nearly 8,000 people faced homelessness on a given night in 2019. In North Minneapolis, nearly half of all renters have experienced eviction in the last three years. Hundreds of thousands are living in temporary shelters or transitional housing, most of them caught in a perpetual cycle of housing insecurity. While the American Rescue Plan extends the national rent moratorium, but this is not a long-term solution. The people across this country will be forced to pay tens of thousands of dollars in back rent when this ends. In some cases, local governments are allowing evictions to continue despite the moratorium. In other cases, landlords are going bankrupt due to the lack of income. The solution is to cancel rent and mortgage payments. I introduced the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act, which would permanently cancel all rent and mortgage payments until April 2022. The legislation would also create a home lender's relief fund to fully compensate landlords and mortgage holders. It would also establish an optional fund that would help expand affordable housing on, even after the pandemic ends.
0: And that's Ilan Omar. She's a Democratic representative from Minnesota. Meanwhile, several hundred New Yorkers struggling to keep their homes as rent piles, rent bills pile up, held a protest demanding State Assembly Speaker Carl Heastie impeach Governor Cuomo and deliver real COVID relief now. The, co- the coalition led by the group Housing Justice Rawl had this to say.
2: My name is Mildred and I've been living in the city and I've been paying my taxes. All right, it's been a year already. They're not giving us any help. They haven't given me any help for any rent relief at all. But the rent is there every month. I haven't been able to work, but the rent is there every month. I barely have money to pay for food. Fatima, she's a drum leader as well. <laughs>
3: Immigrants, omen and workers of colors are also overrepresented in both essential works and jobs reclaimed by the outbreak like retails and hospitality our undocumented immigrants the crisis has been especially dire there may be as many as 265,000 unemployed undocumented workers in new york state at the peak of the crisis meanwhile the federal government has left them out of any support
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: We are asking for your support so we can survive this pandemic. We have nothing to lose, only win. We never let our people die of hunger. We never let our friends to despair. We are fighting for humanity. We are fighting for justice. When we are united, we cannot be defeated.
4: Thank you.
0: And that is Housing Justice for All. Participants called on Heasty to stand up to Governor Cuomo and work with Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins to pass the Invest in Our New York Act in the New York State budget, clear all COVID-19 rent arrears, and pass the Housing Access Voucher Program to end homelessness. And the magnitude of the crisis facing President Biden at the United States-Mexico border came into clearer focus Wednesday. More than 8,500 migrant teens and children who cross the border without their parents are being housed in Department of Health and Human Services shelters as they wait to be placed with relatives or vetted sponsors. Nearly 3,500 more are stuck at Border Patrol stations waiting for beds in those shelters to open up. The highest figure ever. Held in grim steel and concrete cells built for adults, these young people are spending an average of 107 hours awaiting transfer to a hhs-run shelter well over the 72-hour legal limit over the first week of march hhs received more than 450 migrant teens and children per day on average roughly three times as many as the agency was able to release the family members and sponsors gop senator rob portman criticized the biden administration's handling of the problem
5: The new administration came in determined to dismantle all of what the previous administration had done to try to disincentivize people from coming to the border. And they've been effective at doing that. They have dismantled the immigration practices and proceedings that were working to reduce these incentives. Last week, the Secretary of Homeland Security said at a press conference that the surge of unaccompanied kids is, quote, a challenge, but not a crisis. He then deflected blame to the previous administration. I frankly don't care what we call it, a difficult situation, a challenge, whatever you want. But I care a lot what we do in response. And as Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, a
0: Republican, White House spokesperson Jen Sackey countered the criticism. She says all the federal agencies are on deck to solve the problem.
6: DHS and FEMA have stepped in and worked with local mayors, NGOs, and public health officials in Texas to implement a system to provide COVID-19 testing and as needed, isolation and quarantine for families released from Border Patrol facilities. Their proposal and agreement would cover 100% of the expense of the testing, isolation, and quarantine. But Governor Abbott has decided to reject that. So there are a number, there's a lot of confusion about these issues, and I just wanted to provide a little point of clarity here.
0: Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been vociferously attacking the Biden border response. Saki says that NGOs, non-governmental organizations are being brought in to help, but Abbott has rejected the aid.
6: There's an important role that NGOs, that local mayors, that local officials play in working together. And this is a proposal that was worked with DHS, with FEMA and others to help address and ensure that people are tested. Governor Abbott, I I raised that simply because he had raised a concern about that. And I wanted to be clear that we've put forward a proposal. So I think the question is, why is he standing in the way of local communities getting the funding and support they need to help with testing, isolation and quarantining efforts?
0: Saki said no COVID-positive children are being released into the United States. And back here in New York, there are renewed calls for a wealth tax in the state. Elected state officials, along with anti-hunger and community services organizations, are calling for passage of the Invest in Our New York Act, which we mentioned earlier in the cast. Andrea Sears has this report.
5: State lawmakers and community activists are calling on New York to help eliminate hunger by raising taxes on corporations and the state's wealthiest residents. Due to the COVID pandemic, the state faces a $15 billion budget gap this year and 4.5 million New Yorkers are struggling with food insecurity. At the same time, American billionaires have seen their wealth grow by $1.3 trillion just in the past year. According to Joel Berg, CEO of Hunger Free America, six tax bills in the Invest in Our New York Act would bring in billions of dollars for social services by raising taxes on millionaires, corporations, and Wall Street. It's just a
0: question of all of us paying our fair share. Hungry workers can't work. Hungry children can't learn. Hungry seniors can't stay independent. That's why this isn't just spending. This is an investment in our future.
5: In an online news conference Tuesday, community activists and legislators said, said passing the Invest in Our New York Act would raise $50 billion a year for the state. The six bills that make up the act have all been introduced and sent to various committees. Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez-Rojas, a Democrat from Queens, is the sponsor of all six bills. She says it's important not only to close the state budget gap, but to begin to reverse economic inequality.
6: We have to address the income disparity in the state. We have to address the food insecurity of this state. And we have to ensure that every single person can live, work and raise their family with dignity.
5: The bills would raise taxes on income over $300,000 as well as on capital gains, inheritance, extreme wealth, corporations and stock transactions state senator brad hoyleman notes in 2017 congress lowered federal taxes on corporate profits from 35 percent to 21 percent it was a massive windfall for the wealthiest americans many of whom live here in new york our state is home to 120 billionaires with over 600 billion dollars in wealth we can do better for the most deserving, poor, and underserved people in our communities. Hunger-fighting advocates say a state investment of $600 million over the next year would begin to significantly reduce hunger in New York. I'm Andrea Sears. And momentum
0: builds for a financial transaction tax in New York. James Henry is Global Justice Fellow at Yale University and Managing Director at the SAG Harbor Group. He's working with a coalition trying to get past a law to force the state from collecting money it's owed by wall street
2: traders henry had this to say we have a poll from john zogby which was done in new york state uh, just last week and showed that there's very strong support for stopping the rebate that exists of the uh, stock transfer tax that's already on the books in new york uh, to wall street and uh we have, uh, across the board, uh, very strong support by at least two to one. Um, 63% of New Yorkers support stopping the rebate. The rebate has cost us $350 billion of money that went to Wall Street investors, the top 1% since 1982. And every year we're giving back uh, about $20 billion right now with the stock market surging in the last year. The Cuomo administration has shown little interest and has been betting on the Biden plan as an excuse. We have argued in this coalition that we've put together of unions and progressives and also business people, that that's foolhardy, that we have a lot of infrastructure investment that we've been delaying for years. And we're really seeing the effects of that on the public sector, transportation sector. We're seeing all kinds of unmet needs. So New York really needs to have its own kind of life preserver here. And as a, a rainy day fund, if we had had that $350 billion, if we just invested half of it in a fund, we would have been able to do a lot better than we are now. So, What does Albany have to do right now? Where does this go? As we speak, the New York State Legislature is meeting on the budget for next year and they have to get it together by april one they have a decision to make they talked about all kinds of things from legalizing marijuana and uh, raising fees on motor vehicle <laughs> registrations to uh hacking the budget and some of them are just saying you know look well, biden has bailed us out fact is the biden thing is going to take a while and they're going to have to raise taxes too new york state is facing a situation where if we don't act now, the feds may enact a national financial transactions tax to fill their coffers, and all that re- revenue will flow to Washington. The bill that's in Albany right now, does it have a chance? Who's backing it? And- it has 55 supporters in the House, uh, in the Assembly. Phil Steck is the representative leading the way on that side, and in the Senate, it's uh, James B. Sanders from Queens. This is a separate bill that the DSA has introduced that has a bunch of supporters as well. The simplest thing is just to stop rebating the existing tax and just to deal with stock transfers. And that would start getting some revenue in the door right now. But yeah, this is a lot of supporters that we've already got. And I think if people just call their legislatures and look, do this, that's consistent with the poll data that we've seen. The idea that Wall Street firms would move because of a 0.1% progressive sales tax is loony. But they've said that For decades, that was their original argument in 1905 when a Republican governor passed this tax. Cuomo
0: is under a lot of heat right now. His speeches sound like he's a man of the people, but he's really a man of business.
2: I think it looks like that. You know, he had an opportunity to lead here and to show the nation and the world a way forward. This financial transactions tax is moving in Europe. He's been sort of reluctant to target his Wall Street base. It's also mystifying to me why Wall Street is so opposed to this. it comes down to a tiny fraction of... Heavy trading firms on Wall Street like Renaissance Technologies, the, the Mercer company. There's a lot of high frequency trading that lasts 10 minutes. They would feel some of the pressure from this tax. But most investors and, and certainly pension funds wouldn't have any impact at all. In fact, it would mo- it move. It would make the market more efficient.
0: And that is James Henry, a tax justice activist and investigator. The Wall Street transaction tax has been on the books since 1905, but has rebated back to the traders for decades. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. The pressure is ramping up even more on Governor Andrew Cuomo amid allegations that he aggressively groped a female aide last year at the executive mansion in Albany. The allegation, detailed in a report by the Albany Times Union, was reported to Albany police by the governor's acting counsel, Beth Garvey, after the woman involved declined to make the report herself. This is now the sixth woman to accuse Cuomo of inappropriate behavior. Meanwhile, lawmakers in the Democratic-led Assembly are considering the formation of a judiciary committee with subpoena powers to investigate sexual harassment allegations leveled against Cuomo. Multiple sources said that on Thursday to the media. Democratic lawmakers in the last several days have pointed to the snowballing crisis facing the governor, including the scrutiny his administration is facing over how it counted nursing home and long-term facility deaths during the COVID-19 pandemic. Cuomo addressed the issue of limitations to his powers
7: emergency powers, we've worked with the legislature. We have an agreement on a bill where the legislature can repeal any executive order that I issue with over 50 percent. Both houses, the COVID emergency powers continue past April 30th. When we first did this, we thought the we thought the pandemic would be open over April 30th. This is a year ago. We said about a year at that time, it was implausible to think it was going to go beyond the year. It's gone beyond the year, and it's not going to end by April 30th. So they're going to extend, the legislation extends the emergency power to the point where the federal government declares an end to the pandemic, which the federal government does and controls funds, etc. We have more time in this situation, by and large, We'll give the legislature notice of any changes that we're making five days prior to effect. If it is an emergency change, as determined by Department of Health, then it will be a shorter period of time. I don't remember exactly what it was. Do you remember what it was, Beth?
8: The will give notice as soon as possible.
7: Okay. During the five days, there'll be legislative consultation on the change orders that we make during the five days. Whatever order I put in place, the legislature can repeal it in 24 hours or whenever they choose. And that's always been the way. The
0: governor went on to announce the latest reopenings in New York, including an end to mandatory quarantines by April 1st for people who come in from the tunnel or bridges. But the sexual harassment problem continues.
7: Travel guidance. Domestic travelers are no longer required to quarantine or test out within the 90 days of full vaccination. International travelers, you have to continue to follow the CDC quarantine guidelines. Foundation to reopening is public safety. People don't think of it that way. But a community is not going to thrive if people don't feel safe. After the George Floyd murder, we have had localities working on reforming their public safety plans. Mr. Floyd's death was really just a point where there was an explosion of frustration. And we said to every local government, we're not telling you what to do. But if you have a public safety department, you have to put everyone at the table, have a collaborative, come up with a reformed public safety plan. I know it's a hard topic. I know people would rather stay away from it, but Public safety is one of the top priorities for any mayor, for any county executive. This is one of the most critical moments. We have a massive ramp up of the vaccine operation by May.
0: That's Governor Cuomo. Climate leaders and advocacy organizations involved in the Climate Works for All Coalition are urging Mayor Bill de Blasio to invest $200 million in green jobs and infrastructure to drive economic recovery in communities hit hardest by COVID and climate change. The Climate Works for All Coalition told de Blasio in a letter today, you clearly have the resources to make the budgetary investments we're calling for.
4: Two years ago, we passed the Climate Mobilization Act, which was the largest emissions reduction policy Not just in New York City, but any city in the world. But now we have to implement. Now we have to make it work. And especially after COVID, where our our city and our communities have suffered. We need to have a just transition and an investment in our communities. And we need to prioritize getting people back to work and doing it in a real way. And with billions of dollars coming into our city, there is no excuse for us not to make these investments. Now, the city has to hit its target of 40% reduction by 2025, 50% by 2030. That's not like a goal. It's not like, you know, if I miss it, if, I, you know, if I'm trying to lose weight, I miss that goal. No, this is a mandate. This has to happen. We can't miss our goal. We can't miss this year. This is my last year in the council. You will continue to have an ally in me and whatever I do next. So thank you for all the great work that you do. And Let's make sure we get this done in this
8: year's budget. Up next, our dear friend Elizabeth Jean Pierre from Uprose. And in the climate justice movement, we know that a transition is inevitable. Climate change is telling us that a transition is inevitable, but justice is not. Investment in resilient Infrastructure and renewable energy, we know is the foundation to operationalize New York State CLCPA, New York City's Community Climate Mobilization Act, and Sunset Park's grid, which is a model for a local just transition with regional impacts, what we call a green reindustrialization of our significant maritime industrial areas. Up next, Council Member Brennan.
9: The dangers of climate change and the harm that it will cause to frontline communities do not Follow. Do not yield to budget cuts and budget wins and funding flow, cash flow. And building a more resilient city requires prioritizing these communities and ensuring that our adaptation efforts are not only that not only shield them from the effects of climate change, but provide folks with access to good, green union jobs. We know that this mayor is serious about resiliency, and we appreciate that he is committed to ensuring that the Mayor's Office of Resiliency can continue to be funded in the absence of federal money, but it must be funded in tandem with the kind of immediate and direct investments in frontline communities that are being proposed by this coalition today.
8: Uh, Acknowledging that you are recovering from COVID.
9: Thank you so much, respect to you, thank you.
8: My name is Nella Pineda Marcon and I work as a nurse at Mount Sinai Morningside and Mount Sinai West. I am also a proud union member of the largest nurses union in New York. As nurses on the front line of patient care, we have seen up close the horrors of COVID-19 pandemic. Almost 30,000 people in New York City have died and countless others have been left wounded physically and emotionally. We have seen the deep impact that the pandemic has had on low-income communities of color The disparities are all encompassing, affecting marginalized communities physically, mentally, and economically. We have already seen the destruction that climate change and environmental degradation has had on the health of our patients. Increases in heat have contributed to an increase in hypertension. Pollutants are being discharged into our city air, causing a steady increase in chronic asthma conditions in our most vulnerable communities. We know that the city is hurting financially right now, so we have scaled down on what we are asking for in the city's 2022 budget. These asks totaling $200 million and tackling public school retrofits, solar power on public schools, public waste management, and clean transportation will still work towards our shared goals and strengthen the lives of our patients, and our communities?
3: (laughs) Who would like to answer that?
8: Is the governor becoming distraction? (laughs) I would say that we keep it moving, uh, like we kept it moving under the Trump administration. The lives of our people are at stake, and regardless of who is in a position of power and and is behaving in a way that is inappropriate or whatever, we're going to keep it moving because literally everything's at stake. So I, I would say no.
0: The recommended $200 million would be spread across numerous projects, $80 million for energy improvements to schools, $100 million to install solar energy in public schools, $17 million to expand organic waste recycling and to implement the commercial waste zone program, and $3 million for electric school buses. And that's some of the news for Thursday, March 11th, 2021. The news is produced with Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.